my levels are down. You're, you're, I think your levels are okay. I'm on the Bluetooth in the Odyssey. Maybe the best vehicle ever made. The, I'm, I'm very fond of my Odyssey. Odyssey is like, I've kind of given up on streetcars. Are we starting a podcast? Have we started this podcast? We started already. Is this the chat? This, yes. Yes, this is the chat. <laughs> I've decided that I don't really care about driving sporty cars on the street anymore. You know, uh, I think it's easy to say that when you get so much track time. Uh, in my case, I I almost never drive at the track these days, and so it's like, man, having a nice street car would be okay. Well, and that's the thing. Like we made the TSX so user friendly. You know, we've gone to two two track days or in one you know two uh, two tracks in one day this summer at one point because the car is just so like quick and easy to load and unload and you know get ready and everything like that, and it's made me. Uh, enjoy driving in the track again so much that I honestly just am so content driving this Odyssey. Just great. I'm uh, so as you, as you know, I'm in the middle of selling my house and uh, having having the van to like load the dogs up and to like vacate the premises before a showing and things has been helpful. Oh, definitely, definitely. It's uh, it's pretty uh pretty handy unit now i will say that i did take our big van and uh, i made like uh we didn't really want people coming in our office because of covid at the shop so we i built like a wall with a with a counter and stuff like that behind our overhead door um and our one unit that we kind of use as our kitchen slash office slash living area because we spend six days a week there all year round um and uh i needed some 12 foot boards and that our our uh, our extended express van that thing is pretty hilarious how well it soaks up twelve foot boards. I'm I am jealous for that, but that, uh, uh, I I haven't talked to you about this. Um, Ashley and I were uh, at Midwest Festival last weekend, and uh, we had Sloan there. Um, we had our dogs there, and then Ashley's parents uh, live maybe only about. 90 minutes from Gingerman. And so they came up one night um, and took care of Sloan while we were out in the paddock doing whatever. And even Ashley was like, man, we need a bigger RV. <laughs> Ours is available. I don't know that I can afford what yours is. There's uh, I don't even know what we're going to ask for ours. Ours Ours has quite a bit of mileage compared to some, but ours has had uh, quite a bit of, you know, real use compared to some, but has also had more service than probably well, sure. any RV. I mean, but what is, ever, what's you know? the depreciation on an RV that spent most of its life at full throttle? Uh, <laughs> is it better than spending most of its life just idling, you know, getting like not used? Uh, know. You know what? It's I don't know. So I have an RV story that I, I have an RV story that I just got today. So, okay. uh, I got back from Gingerman, um, and, uh, really began to take notice that I haven't changed the oil on the RV since last year. And since then I've driven oh a lot hey, of miles. What are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, hey, Mars has had like three oil changes. 
Um, so I got underneath it and I did an oil change. You know, it's, it's high enough actually that you don't need to jack it up. It's pretty easy. I, there was no excuse not to do it. Um, but when I was underneath, I saw a substantial amount of tire wear on the inside tread block on the, uh, the driver's side front. And that was recent. Um, and right before Pike's peak, I had taken it in to, uh, get some like steering components fixed or replaced or whatever. Um, I don't, you know, I don't work on trucks, so I don't know how all these parts are called like drag link or something like, I don't know, whatever. Um, anyway, they replaced the components. They were supposed to straighten the toe and, uh, I picked it up and we went to Pike's peak and we came back. And the only thing that sucked about it was that it felt like it drove straight, but the steering wheel was cocked probably like 10 degrees. Um, and so I, I took it back to the service center and I said, Hey, I think everything is fine, but like you need to readjust the toes so that the wheel is straight. Um, well they did that and I drove it to road America and came back and then I drove it to gingerman and came back. And only when I got back from gingerman, did I notice that the inside of the tire was gone. And so I took it to the service center on Monday and I said, Hey guys, like you need to, you need to triple check this alignment and make sure it's right. Uh, because something is wrong. And they initially were like, no, no, everything's fine. Like you, this is your, you know, this is your problem. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so. Um, so I, I left it with them and they ended up taking it to a different alignment center that has like a full size rack for aligning an RV or a bus. And they, they ended up finding that the toe was off as I expected. Uh, the camera was off a little bit, but on the way back to the main like service center, uh, the, uh, what do you call it? The brake line that runs from the uh, ABS unit all the way back to the rear axle failed. And what's okay. interesting is uh, when I was driving it there on Monday, I felt like the brake was, the, the pedal was a little spongy. Um, I wasn't sure if it was just me, but like, I was like, oh, well, I mean, I've driven this a lot and this feels a little unusual, but yeah, the, the, uh, the, the pedal went out and they, they like drained the entire reservoir of fluid. That's how much it lost. Wow. But, uh, I did also learn that, uh, brake lines on a Ford van are not expensive. The, uh, the entire job, you know, to have them do it was like $320. Well, I was expecting like, you know, 20 feet of brake line was going to be expensive. Yeah, the line is so cheap. It's usually the forming and stuff like that that's more tricky. But there's, it's probably so, you know, just big, long, straight runs and stuff like that. But I will say about your inside tire wear. Now, would you say it was smooth or would you say it was kind of like jagged, like every block was kind of worn on an angle? No, it was smooth. So we had a tire go bad on us and every the inside block and everyone I can't I can't remember what the name there is a name for that. Is it like feathered or something like that? Anyways, every block was worn on an angle and uh, the left front shock had died. And I didn't really notice it because I feel like you notice it more in the back of that RV than you do in the front. Oh um, no, I had I had just replaced with the Bilsteins. Oh, that's right, yeah. 
That's right. That's right. So which yeah, are should, uh, which are very nice. It's amazing, you know, when when we first got our RV, we're like, yeah, you know, you just kind of it's it's what you it's what you expect, you know. It's it's not great. It feels and like you're driving a house. As you improve it, yeah, and as you improve it and improve it and improve it, and all of a sudden you realize that you're, you know, you've got 80 miles an hour for the last 12 hours going to Coda, and you're like, this is pretty comfortable. This thing's pretty good. If we would have tried to do that with ours when we first got it, we would have been in the ditch. Oh, I'm sure. Now, I have learned, because uh, I did the experiment, it is... Uh, the the difference in fuel economy at sixty five miles per hour versus seventy five is substantial. Ain't nobody got time for that. Well, I mean, I do. At the moment, like, no, uh, I don't. Let's. Ever. This I is never, not what you expected to podcast about. Well, let's weigh the pros and cons. At the moment, gasoline is not particularly expensive, and so the drive to Pikes Peak and back wasn't like a deal breaker, but. Uh, if if gasoline goes up in price to like double, you I I start to wonder when it makes sense uh, for any kind of diesel RV. Because at least well, in the case of a let's say a diesel Class A, um, yes, it's bigger. Or excuse me, um, the the fuel economy is uh, pretty close to the same. Adam's fuel economy and mine on the way to Pikes Beacon back was the same. The difference was he had a heck of a lot more space and living area than I do. But the diesel is also sometimes way more expensive in the U.S. than the gas is, right? Not usually way more expensive. If any, it's only marginally more. Okay, because in the uh, in Ontario, diesel is generally uh, quite a bit cheaper in the summertime. It usually goes the other way in the winter, but in the summertime, it's almost always cheaper. Gas. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the standard unleaded gas and diesel have been pretty close in pl- uh, price for a little while. Because I know the, when we went to Coda, there was places where it seemed like um, it was fifty cents a gallon more or something like that. I was quite shocked to see that uh, see it that much more expensive. I look at uh, um, like a Dodge Ram Eco Diesel, and I think, well. You know, those are a nice truck and a fine motor, you know, if you're not having the gold plug issues and stuff like that. But if if you're saving, you know, 15% on fuel or something like that and then take 15% more for it, kind of defeats the purpose a little bit. Right. I don't know. I I, I don't think that it'll be easy to make this kind of purchase. I don't know that I would actually, ever actually follow through with it. But Adam has been talking about country coaches for a while. And... uh Country coaches are badass. What's a country coach? Uh, it's built like uh, to a similar level of like a Newell or a Prevost RV. I mean, it's it's oh, not wow. it's not quite that extreme, um, but they are you know extremely heavy duty, sturdy bus chassis, um, and they are quite nice. There's one for sale in Indiana for fifty nine thousand, and it's like. Man, I don't know. Like, that would be cool, but that's a lot of money. What year? Uh, 2005, I think. Interesting. So, Evan is calling me. Well, uh, it'll be James Fat while we're podcasting. We'll call it Fat. 
Um, yeah, that, that's our plan is something like that, something maybe uh, 07 to 2010, uh, 40 to 42 feet long, rear engine, diesel. Nice. Heavy duty, you know, bus chassis with big towing capacity and stuff like that. Cause we just, you know, we travel so far so often. Would would the intent bit, be for uh, you to pack two cars consistently? I mean, are you going to enclose two cars? No, no, just one. My trailer, I'm, I, I'm fine with that. If you know the the Integra situation, will uh, there may be a time where I bring it to some event where you know maybe the TSX uh, is going, but um, I would say most of the time when the TSX goes somewhere, another trailer will come and bring the Integra. Gotcha. Yeah, the um, I don't know that you saw. This was even news to me. Uh, for Gold Pass holders, we gave uh, Bayou Bash tickets for fifty dollars for Time Attack. I think that's. Uh, I saw that. I saw that. That's, that's pretty amazing. cool. That is so good. That's so good for Grid Life to kind of give something back like that. You know, try to create some hype and some excitement and everything. Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence about whether or not I'll attend in person. Um, because uh, we did finally sell our house and we're anticipating moving the week after. And so I, oh, I just wow. don't know with the travel time, I just don't know if it's uh, smart to take that many vacation days. Dave, you probably have a lot of vacation days. I think at the moment I only have six days. Okay. Six days left for the year. Correct. All right. I can see you're wanting to conserve that. You could just be like us and like drive across the country and take like one day. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the the tricky bit is though, I don't know how many more days that I accrue until the end of the year because the the way the company does it now is a little bit frustrating. Um, you can't bank any days year over year, and um, okay. you start out at the year with zero. So even if you're a senior employee and you get a lot of vacation, uh, that vacation balance doesn't really like show up until the end of the year. You know what I mean? Like it accrues over the year and they, they allow you to go negative, but like if the company fired you or if you def- decided to go to a different job or whatever, uh, being negative means you have to pay it back. So I think what it effectively does is it forces people to take holiday time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's important. When you hear about people that haven't taken vacation two years and stuff like that, it's like, what are you trying to prove? That, you know, go and just sit on a beach somewhere. Even if you don't have any hobbies, you're not into racing or anything like that, just go and relax. Well, I think the, uh, the important lesson is that, uh, if you busted your butt working for a company and uh, you died at your desk, the company would not hesitate to have your job posted the next day. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I hear about Houghton Rust Control anyway. No, no. Yeah. I made a jambalaya for the employees today. Oh. We're all about, we're all about it. We're all about taking care of it. Well, I don't, I don't know if you're going to NOLA, but uh, I, I can't imagine the border will be open. But they're, you know, that's, that's what they're famous for down there. Oh, I know. Even the problem with that is it's so busy at this time of the year at the shop. Is even if the border was open, that would be one event that I just can't make happen. Yeah. It's just far, far too busy. 
Midwest festival happening in October was already, you know, if if the border had opened, was already a stressful thing trying oh, to sure. figure out how to do that. Probably Mitch would have taken the car and raced it on, uh, you know, practice Thursday and raced it Friday. And I would have come, come and raced Saturday and gone home Sunday and just tried to only miss Saturday. Sure. But, uh, um, with everything going on, it's just super stressful. My mom normally has two people in the office with her, helping her out because of COVID and everything like that. She doesn't want anyone in the office with her. So I'm actually her helper in the office this year, which is kind of a change of pace for me. But, uh, uh, if I were to leave her, that would be a lot of work to go from three people in the office to one. Well, let's, uh, only because we don't have anything official that we need to talk about. Let's let's talk about Houghton Rust Control and how you grow the business. Um, you've been around a long time, and I imagine that the price point for which you offer a service is pretty steady year over year. So if the business wants to grow, how do you spray more cars per year? Well, that's an interesting question because we put a second hoist and a second bay door and set ourselves up to basically have double the capacity at the beginning of the 2019, beginning of 2019. And do you run consistently, like in, in the fall, do you run extended hours, like crazy time to crazy time to try and meet all the demand? Uh, so we are very lucky that the last two years we have got, we have had years where we've struggled to get the right help and we have had years where we've knocked it out of the park, and we have had we have all people this year that have done it for not even just one season in the past, but we we have a whole crew that have done multiple seasons for us before. And we could do if we if we had to, and if we worked for twelve hours as hard as we could, we have enough capacity with our two boys um, to spray four hundred and fifty cars in one day. That's a lot of cars. We have never sprayed. We have never sprayed more than 240 in one day. Okay. So we are we are working hard to. We have lost. We have probably lost thousands of customers over the years due to long lineups. We have had people waiting on the street. We have had 40 cars in our parking lot waiting to get sprayed, and uh, we you know we've got kind of a reputation that it's just insane at our place in the fall. And we are trying to fix that. So we used to have people that would be on the property sometimes for two hours because we just do it all first come first serve. It's just too, too busy to try to do appointment based stuff. Oh sure. Uh, when the line is moving, when the line is moving forward every three minutes or so, because we're doing working on the cars in like four different stages. So they you know you know they get prepped outside, move inside, get the doors sprayed, move ahead, get the bottom sprayed, move ahead, get the windows done. And so we're now set up to do that. All those steps two at a time. So we basically have the ability to work on eight vehicles at the same time now, almost assembly line style. Crazy. And so, like, uh, yeah. so this this is a service that doesn't exist equivalently in the United States. I'm familiar with it because I bought a Canadian truck some years back. But uh, like, how much competition do you have in in the area for competitive business? Uh, there are quite a few other businesses doing it. No one to the volume that we are. Um, I think that one of the things are is very few people are set up um, to just set up the way we are to you know process multiple cars at the same time. 
and I think very few people have the owners of the company there. Like, you know, other years I'm there hands-on drilling, spraying bottoms, whatever is needing needed. My dad always sprays sprays doors, um, and uh, I think the fact when you have the owners of the business right in there, you know, in the trenches with their employees it's much easier to really keep the pace going and keep people working hard and stuff like that. Sure. And I think when you go to other places and they just, you know, it's a, it's a seasonal business. A lot of people, you know, in other businesses maybe don't um, take care of their employees as much as we try to. So they probably have very few times where um, people come back year after year. And we have, you know, special circumstances. Some guys retired, whatever. And I apologize for my GPS running in the background here. Um, but we have, you know, guys that are semi-retired, you know, certain situations, whatever. One guy's got a bit of a, uh, you know, has a kind of a weird government pension type of deal. And they allow him to come off of that pension for three months to work for us because he has some learning disabilities and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got for whatever reason, different situations that have allowed us to have some of our employees for many years. The one guy has had literally come back and worked for us every fall for 18 years. So what, uh, what do the majority of, of, what is, what does the business look like in July? Uh, we do about 300 cars usually in July and we did 30 cars in 40 minutes at, at one o'clock today. Wow. So it's, uh, and in February, we usually do about 25 cars for the whole month. So does that mean that, like, um, a lot of your workforce is just seasonal? Like, does does the business really, yeah, like, so uh, hibernate in July? We are basically, we, we, you know, make enough to keep going from January till the end of August. Um, but other than that, uh, it's just my parents and I. And it doesn't really make sense to have anyone there the rest of the year. My dad and I can always do more than what comes from January until the end of August. And then we kind of get our whole crew in every uh, every first of September. And then they're usually on until early December, late November, mid-December. Just depends on when the weather turns crappy. So, so I think we're getting a little derailed on the Houghton Rust Control talk. I want to talk more about diesel pushers. Uh, yeah, that's really fast. It's really fast. I didn't, I didn't look it up, uh, yet. What was, what's your personal best there? 25, six. And I don't, and I'm going to give the, I'll give you the ricer excuses. I do not feel that we've ever given our, our, I don't feel like we've ever put our best foot forward. at So I can say, um, in talking with Ferris, uh, I think it was the last dry session um, on Saturday. Uh, Ferris said that he had a 26-1 predicted twice and uh, wasn't able to get it because the first time the the car like didn't go into gear properly or something coming out of 11. And then the other instances, he uh, his alternator took a crap and he ended up having to park it in 10 old 10. So, uh, it's amazing how many in the, in the one GLTC race I saw three people were parked in old dead, they were having a party out there. That seems to be the, the spot, just such a great spot to pull off there, yeah, for sure. So, um, that car is wicked, and I don't know how many 
I don't know how many cars like it exist in the United States. I feel like uh, it's it's like unlimited now in some ways in that uh, to expect a full field of competition at any one event is, I don't know, it's a dice roll. But the unlimited and now the track mod guys, I think... You know, if they get some competition at the event, that's great. But those guys are competing exclusively against the clock now. Like, oh, they, sure. they may I mean, not have another right. competitor present to, to push them. They may have to rely exclusively on chasing that time. And we are very much, uh, you know, excited anytime. Professional Awesome or Andy or, you know, uh, Will or anyone like that is out. But... At the same point, it does not change what you're there to do at all, right? You're you're there, you're chasing a record. If you win, it's great, but that's not why you're there. Right. So uh, I, I feel like some of but, the uh, more, uh, le- let's call it less prepared classes, um, there's, there is some excellent competition and there's a lot of uh, opportunities for lead changes throughout the weekend. It, it happens a lot. Um and I think now in track mod, we'll probably just not see that. For sure. And I think that, I think that time attack is, can be a very uh, fickle sport as far as competition goes, because, you know, every once in a while, like look at all the records that Will set in 2018. Um, he brought out the big hammer and it's taking time for people to catch up to that. Right. Uh, it's taking time for himself to catch back up to that. Right. It's uh you know, since he set those times uh, all through 2019, I don't think that he beat any of those times at any of those tracks. So, so here's um, here's an interesting point. Um, I don't know, and I'm I'm please please don't think that I'm uh, disrespecting anyone here. But if you put Ferris's car on Hoosiers as it sits. I do not know how far from the Gingerman record he would be. And I think you'd be surprised. I think that you'd be surprised uh, how small of a difference it would make when the car is working as well as it is. It would be faster. Um, but I think that we have to realize how fast an ACR tire is. You know, it is seriously, seriously fast. That's true. And to start optimizing the car. You know, you start, you, you change the, you change the tires and all of a sudden, you know, it's body rolling more and, you know, things like that. Things start to change and, you know, it starts to be a struggle. Um, I'd be really curious to see, and I'm not saying that he wouldn't go, uh, you know, I for sure think that he would go faster than the Integra went there. No question, no argument there. Um, would he go more than two seconds faster? Hard to say. Sure. You know, if he did have a 26 one, it might be easier to extract some of that time. Um, but those cars, those ACR tires, they go real fast. Sure. And that, you know, that, that size, that stagger, everything like that, it really, it really works. Now you never know, but, uh, it's sometimes things are not as cut dry as they seem. Sure. The Integra was a far, far, far superior car when we went to fall festival in 2019 compared to 2018. And we went, the exact same lap time. We went 25, 6 both years. Right. It's just weird how things sometimes, right? Well, and uh, something we, that I'll comment we, on about his setup is if you watch the in-car, for the most part, it looks... Um, it doesn't look like it's fighting him very much. And that 
that helps go fast for sure. Yeah. And I think that, and I'll admit my own uh, fault here. We've focused so much on the arrow game in 20, or sorry, 2019 with the Integra that uh, I think I like kind of forgot as much as as terrible as it is to say, just, you know, to go back to more of your roots and thinking about chassis setup and stuff like that. And I think we had a car that was set up to um, understeer quite had a significant amount of understeer built into the chassis. And we were trying to not trying to fix that with air, but we had, we were working so hard on the arrow that I was failing to see that sometime. Gotcha. And it wasn't until, it wasn't until we were finished and on our way home um, from Gingerman in October of last year that it kind of clicked for me. And I went, that car was turning so poorly through turn two that I had an absolutely uh, terrible amount of steering angle um, in it when I should have been, you know, powering straight off. Yeah. And that kind of kind of clicked for me when we left there. And when we were building the TSX, I kind of vowed to make sure that that car had enough rotation built sure. into that chassis. And for a big, heavy, long wheelbase car, I think we got it. And that car rotates lovely, even at a small, tight track like TMP. And I'm very excited to kind of put through what we learned with the uh, TSX back in the Integra. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty eager uh, now that the car for him is is worlds different than it was in February. I'm eager to see him back at Super Lap Battle in at Coda. Um, if if he gets the gearing right. Um, I, I don't know how fast he'll be probably very fast. Oh, it's, uh, I think that, I think that people get so excited about some lap times that cars run sometimes that they fail to realize how much could be still left on the table. And I think you are very aware of that. And I respect that very much that you always are kind of like, you know, it was their X amount of laps there. There has to be a ton of time left. Yeah. And the more time I've spent, uh, I racing at road America this year. And then I go back and watch the, the Haltech video of my in car of my two Oh eight one there. And I think, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I left so much time on the table there in so many spots. But you know, at the same point, um, I, I didn't, um, came, I don't you, remember you from right your Haltech video. How fast were you going through the kink? just like parts. Probably the GLTC cars are going faster. Because <laughs> you had come to me and you had said, you know, you've already gone faster than Will. You have already won this part of the championship. Remember not to break your car if you want to win the overall championship with the brackets tomorrow. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, I was very much trying to extract as much as I could with zero risk whatsoever. Oh, sure. And I'm still very much... Um, you know, learning my way around there. So and, I know uh, that we were talking uh, a few minutes ago about Ferris's 2026 20, at Gingerman, but I think we also should be yep. talking about Erica Till's 37. Yep. That's banging. Yep, for sure. For sure. I am so, so depressed that I have not got a chance to see what the TSX will do at Gingerman because... Uh, everyone has kind of taken the notion that it won't be good on 
tracks like Gingerman. It'll be good on tracks like uh, Road America. Uh-huh. And that car dances so well at TMP. It is fantastic how well that car works at TMP. That I just don't see that a car that works well at TMP is going to struggle that bad at Gingerman. So, uh, I, I don't know that it's fair to say that monetarily you have more money in that car than anyone else, but it might be true that you have more hours into that car than anyone else, just in terms of setup and development. Luke McGrew, have you yeah. heard of him before? Well, but he's good at changing <laughs> engines. It doesn't actually take him that long. No, that's true. That's true. Um, we have. I tried to put a tremendous amount of thought into that car before we started. And yes, there have been a ton of hours, an absolutely wild amount of hours. So, you know, um, the guys at Unit Two Fab and uh, you know a little bit of myself included have have done. But uh, there was a lot of planning that went into that to begin with, like a lot. So, I mean, but made, I think you're probably one of the few people that has you know uh, set up work with someone like from Stimtech to try and figure out how to make the car aerodynamically more solid as well. Yep. No, for sure. And we have, uh, you know, we wanted to, to optimize that aero package. The plan 100% from the beginning was to take uh, no penalty points in that car whatsoever, take the street tires, take the front wheel drive bonus and, you know, build the, the bullet kind of like we did. Um, uh, and, you know, we definitely didn't want to leave any, any downforce on the table. And I think that we achieved that fairly well. We've got lots of laps in that car at most sport now. And, uh, it's, uh, it's a very confidence inspiring car to drive at speed. Um, uh, we've worked at the low speed stuff throughout the summer to make it even better. Uh, I think we have made it better, but, uh, at speed, that car was, was good right from the first session at Coda. We've, you know, we've been trying to dial in some of that low speed rotation and low speed grip from the beginning. Well, at, at uh, that time, we you that was a fresh build, and there were some gremlins that you were working out through the weekend. Is is everything like dialed now? Um, we were we we're having some issues with our rear shocks. Not issues. We were um, we were cut. Uh, K2 had never made a set of shocks for that TSX like that before, so I gave them an idea, a guess of where we should start, um, and we didn't probably have quite enough valving in the rear shocks. And I think that that probably just got worse and worse as, you know, as you beat a shock up from not having enough valving. Sure. And, um, so we have, I'm actually just, um, coming down to the GTA right now to Toronto to pick up our updated ones that have some different valving and, uh, and, uh, some updates on them. So we're going to get them on the car and go testing on Monday at Mosport. And then uh, we'll be at TMP soon and we'll be at another track uh, um, called Grand Bend Motor or Grand Bend Raceway. I forget what it's called exactly, but it's at, it's at a, in a beach town, very similar to Gingerman actually, or very similar to South Haven, I should say. It um, sounds like with the border closure, be- it's allowed you more time to enjoy the Canadian tracks that you might not otherwise spend a ton of time at. Oh, for sure. But uh, at the same point, I, you know, most board is great. The rest of the tracks are fine. Um, they are not the tracks that we get to run at with you guys, like mid Ohio, road America, all those places like that. They're, they're on, you know, a different level. 
I love Mosport. My grandfather that raced there the first year it opened, my family's been going there my whole life. But Mosport to me, compared to Mid-Ohio, it's uh, it's not a great track for, for passing. It requires a lot of balls, but I don't know that you have to be as technical there as you have to be at some places. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it's a great place, and it has history like crazy. You know, some of the best Formula One drivers to ever race. Um, have raced there, but there's Mitch calling again. Um, but at the same point, I just don't, uh, I just don't feel the same way about it from a technical standpoint as some of the other tracks that we race at. I really appreciate a track that you really have to be sharp at, and man, Mid Ohio, you have to, you really have to place that car effectively every lap because it's. Uh, you know, you can end up in some weird spots at that place. That's absolutely true. Uh, I think uh, we just did a podcast. It's fun. It's uh, if I can't be seeing you guys in person, it's good to chat online anywhere, or I chat on on the phone and do some podcasts and stuff like that for yeah, sure. You're uh, you're welcome anytime. Good uh, good chatting with you guys, and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing you sooner rather than later. Hope so. Thanks. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the pits at a gridlock to say hello. Hello.